Welcome to What Have We Learned? I'm Ben Punter. Hope you're well. Hope you're staying safe as we are back with new episodes here in 2021. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at Ben Punter. You can find us on Facebook. We are What Have We Learned? Or one word. And you can watch or listen to video versions of these interviews over on YouTube. It's youtube.com slash Ben Punter. Or simply search What Have We Learned? Look out for the big yellowy kind of backgroundy logo. Um, also, new for 2021, we're on Instagram with a dedicated podcast page. Um, it's at What Have We Learned Pod, all one word. And um, depending on which platform you're using to listen to this right now, don't forget you can also listen uh, on a more convenient platform, be it Apple, Spotify, or a cast. So there you go. Uh, we start with our new episode with Nicholas Briggs, who you may know as the voice of the Daleks and the Cybermen in Doctor Who. He's been doing that since 2005. Um, in this episode, we talk about Daleks, the Dalek voices, the big Finnish audio productions, storytelling, and joining the show in 2005. Just a heads up, there are no details on the upcoming Series 13, but this is What Have We Learnt with Nicholas Briggs. Nicholas Briggs, welcome. How are you? Well, yeah, good. Um, I'm in my uh, office shed at the end of the garden, and it's very windy outside, but luckily I'm um, shielded from the elements here. And so for those who don't know, um, how, will, how will most people know you and your work? I I suppose most people will know me because of uh, uh, my voice work on Doctor Who, doing the voice of the Daleks. And, um, you know, at least that's what I used to tell people when we were allowed to go out to parties, that you would say, what do you do for a living? I say, oh, I do the voice of the Daleks. Then that mostly means something to people. But uh, really what takes up most of my time is being the creative director of Big Finish Productions, mm. who have a, a license from the BBC to do Doctor Who uh, audio drama and you know we've been doing it since 1999 and I've been you know I worked on the very first one wrote directed did the sound design and music on it and I think in 2006 became executive producer and creative director and so yeah that's that's my day job which involves all sorts of exciting things like writing directing sound design and music but it also involves lots of strategy meetings you know publicity marketing sales yeah <laughs> and so and big finish has it's kind of come into its own over the last couple of years certainly with as the show has grown so has big finish i suppose so i mean it, it you know the interesting thing for big finish is that um we started before doctor who came back to television in 2005 mm. um so i forget because i filmed the first one in 2004 and i always forget <laughs> when it actually came on um uh, but actually when the series came back you know we've been going a few years uh it it nearly killed us um mm. because doctor who fans thought uh well that was doctor who but now this is doctor who and they did momentarily over a few months abandon us in their droves and that's sort of when i took over so i rather thought that i was um going to be rearranging the deck chairs on the titanic yeah um but we found ways of enticing our audience back uh you know i worked together with a, a great team of people particularly in those early days, a chap called Alan Barnes, who was the script editor uh, and who's still a very great friend and colleague. And we really worked hard on creating what they now in modern marketing parlance call the tent pole releases, you know, those moments where mm. it's really important things. And we always cr tried to create reasons for people to 
come back. And I think through that strategy and also people just sort of set, Doctor Who fans settling down a bit with the new series and uh, and also, you know, when it was not on air, prepared to look around and see what else was going in the Doctor Who world. You know, they, the fans did come back to us slowly but surely. And then, of course, new fans were created by the new series. And then when they discovered there'd been an old series of Doctor Who, uh, many of them started to sort of to look into the broader Doctor Who fan universe and discovered Big Finish. I thought, my goodness, you know, the, the great reaction we get is like people coming into a candy shop and they realise how much good stuff there is. Mm. And those sort of landmark sort of tentpoles that you talk about, they're the sort of the multi-Doctor stories. Well, it's not always uh, as grand as that. You know, it's just doing something new and original with the Daleks. It's bringing the Cybermen back in a different way. You know, we had... Uh, we created a whole new strand with Paul McGann, the Eighth Doctor. He'd mm. been poodling along quite nicely in, in our regular range of adventures, and we decided to create a new range of adventures with him, with a brand new companion played by Sheridan Smith, who was quite the TV star in the UK, uh, and and still is, and even more so now. And uh, so we sort of upped the ante really and made a conscious effort to. Um, that this is really through Barnaby Edwards, who also directs for Big Finish and writes for Big Finish. Uh, and he was really uh, the casting director of those Eighth Doctor uh, adventures. And we went really for, for big names and, uh, you know, to just create a bit of a buzz around it all. And you do get a lot of those sort of stories that kind of fill in the gaps from the classic series. And it links old old Who to new Who as well. Yes, I think that that's, you know, it's all part of the same universe. I mean, in those early days, that was quite a contentious thing to do. Uh, the BBC were very keen at that point for there to be a clear delineation between old and new Doctor Who. But slowly but surely, you know, really through Russell T Davis, you know, the old series, the new series acknowledged the old series. And then it became very clear that it, it was it was all the same thing, really. But yeah, I mean, so we, we do like to sort of go down those little rabbit warrens of uh, continuity mm. and and talk through the detail and find out exciting things you didn't know. But at the same time, I'm very keen. My ongoing policy is not ever to shut off all possibilities. So I don't really like linking one story with another in a way that means you couldn't fit more stories in between because I think that limits imagination and I think one of the main things for me anyway Doctor Who is about is about limitless imagination and limitless possibilities mm. so of course you do those fan things and explain things away and, and what have you and say oh this is actually what happened but I've I my instinct and in many cases directive is to always leave the door open in mm. some way and has as as a fan, has there been a, a handful of pinch yourself moments with Big Finish? Yes, uh, I have to remind myself every day, really, that I'm doing the dream job. Mm. You know, I love to write, I love to act, I love to direct, I love to do sound effects, I love to do music, uh, and I get to do all those things all the time. So in those darker moments when I'm maybe a bit exhausted. And I'm thinking, oh, what am I doing today? I've got to get on with that music. And oh, I've, oh yes, I've got to talk to ex-doctor about blah, 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 blah. And I think, hold on a sec. <laughs> you know, this is like the best possible thing I could be doing. If someone asked me, what would you like to be doing with your life? It's yeah. this. So, uh, but, you know, such is human nature and perhaps my nature is that you get a bit occasionally you sort of get a bit of ho-hum and think, oh, well, it's just a job. And they think, goodness, no, this is 
this is a dream. So, oh, so many pinch yourself moments. I feel <laughs> black and blue with all the pinching that I've done of myself <laughs> over these years, metaphorically speaking, obviously. Um, you know, and just recently, I suppose it's a good one to mention is working with Christopher Eccleston again. After mm. I worked with him in the TV series all those years ago, and I've been directing him. And just the other day, I was doing a bit of acting with him. Of course, it's all done remotely at the moment because none of us can actually meet up. But uh, we all we all talk together and chat and have a laugh while we're doing it over the Internet. So, yeah, that's my most recent pinch yourself moment, although bizarrely, and I can't really account for this. I always had a really firm belief that Chris would come back at some point, you know. Mm. So, um, yeah. So that's that's a real. Yeah, it's lovely stuff. Well, it does definitely sound like it's a it was an interest in a hobby that's just become a career. Oh, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, uh, back in the day, a bunch of us used to do Doctor Who audio plays for fun. And when I was a kid, you know, I used to just do them on my own, doing all the voices uh, and using the broken wheelbarrow grinding as the sound of the TARDIS and mm. <laughs> desperately trying to experiment <laughs> how to do a Dalek voice. You know, it wasn't until years later I discovered you needed a ring modulator and, you know, clever effects to do it, to make it sound authentic. And then, yeah, I, as I say, got together with a, a bunch of other fans after I left drama school, really, and my career hadn't taken off. And, and I sort of distracted myself for far too long for quite a number of years doing these audio adventures because I got to write them. I got to do all the things that I now do for Big Finish. And it was a real training ground for me, albeit with more analog technology at the time. Um, but I really, you know, cut my teeth on that. I really learned a lot of skills. It was invaluable for me, mm. really. And yeah, and so when it was time through, you know, for all the previously mentioned in many places reasons, we finally got a license to do Doctor Who for the BBC. I was there and ready with all the skills. Yeah. And, and really, I was the one who... Uh, set the template for how we record them you know on how the post-production is done and all that kind of stuff um, because I just had already learned it and knew that it worked and you've written and directed um, a couple of big finish stories this I'm filing yes. this under borderline terrible question um, when you're okay. creating a new story or a new script where is the best mm. place to, to begin certainly for an audio story well uh, first of all you have to have a desire to tell a story you know to be a good storyteller you need to want to tell a story if you kind of think oh i mean i've had people come up to me and say yeah i'd really like to write a doctor who story and i go oh wow, lovely lovely and they say the trouble is i haven't really got any ideas i mm. think well i don't know why you'd like to tell a story if you haven't got any ideas to me telling stories is is to do with the fact that you're overflowing with ideas they're bursting out you know someone once said to me i think it was someone at the bbc said yeah how do you come up with all these stories and my answer was i can't stop coming up with them <laughs> you know it's just my favorite thing to imagine this and one of my problems in my life and i want you all to get out the smallest violins known to mankind um is that i just can't stop doing it and it does exhaust me but i just whenever i decide to enforce some rest which is very rarely far rarer than our operations director would like because she's worried about my general health um <laughs> i just i just start thinking of oh maybe he lands on a planet where you know and i'm yeah. off and i'm imagining it you know i can't help myself and i can hear the sounds i can hear the music and you know so um it, 
where do you start? Well, an idea comes into your head. Sometimes it's an idea about a theme. You know, you maybe want to talk about a particular issue. Sometimes it's a character or sometimes you just start thinking about, oh, what would this alien race be like? Maybe there's a race that's attracted to light. I remember once I wanted to do a story about giant moth creatures. Mm. And then I thought, oh, that might be a bit naff. I don't know. But what is it about moths? What do we know about moths? They're attracted to light. And so then I had this whole, I created this whole thing about um, a species that was desperate to get light. But in doing that, they would have smothered the uh, species that already lived in that star system. So the the people in that star system found a way to block out their own sun so that they wouldn't be found by these aliens and then do you see what i mean suddenly yeah. suddenly you're not writing a story about giant moth creatures you're actually writing a story about uh the quest for survival uh and then of course you know you build into the fact build into the story that there's a misunderstanding and that the people who wanted the light aren't necessarily going to destroy the people who needed the light and you, you know what i mean you start coming up with all these different nuances and characters come to mind and then you have to work out at which point the doctor enters the story you know does he enter it early on in the story or is it in the last act where everything's come to a crisis so you know or does he do a bit of both does he you know use the TARDIS to travel around in the timeline of this story so that you know you can just see how it just opens up so many possibilities and that's the thrilling thing really mm -hmm. and one of the other thrilling things I find is discussing this with like-minded creative people and working out a story or indeed helping other people to create their story because that's what I quickly found becoming executive producer of Big Finish. You know, my favorite thing was to bring the crazy ideas in my head to life in some way on audio. And then I discovered that it was very nearly my favorite thing to help other people to do it well too. So yeah. that that's that was a great discovery I made very early on, you know, when especially when I became exec producer. So 2005 or 2004 for filming, uh, how did you get involved from doing the Big Finish stuff to Russell T Davis and the new series? Well, that's all down to Russell T Davis, really. You know, I shall never stop being grateful to him. Um, and I think that I would like to say every day I think that, but I suppose I don't think it every day, but I probably think it at least every week. You know, he was a Big Finish listener and he could hear that I could do a Dalek voice. And then he read an article by me in Doctor Who magazine, which I should be very grateful to Clayton Hickman for, mm. who was the editor at the time, where he could see that I had the technical wherewithal to create the voice. Um, so uh, he just thought, I think, a very practical man, you know, a, a experienced producer, uh, just thought, this guy is a total solution. There's no such thing as the radiophonic workshop anymore at the BBC. You know, we need someone who can not only come along and shout exterminate convincingly, but knows how to make it sound exactly like a Dalek in terms of techni the technical side. So I was the total solution. And, uh, you know, he made sure I got that job. It was marvellous. Uh, the, the hoary old story I've told so many times, and <laughs> forgive me if you've heard it, is that there was a big meeting for all Doctor Who licensees, although not big finish, um, uh, at which they presented uh, what they were going to do. And they said, oh, we're going to bring the Daleks back. And Clayton Hickman put his hand up and said, you know, if you're bringing the Daleks back, are you getting Nick Briggs to do the voice? And uh, Russell allegedly said, yes, but don't tell him because we need to contact his agent. <laughs> uh, but then uh, two or three people from that meeting then secretly phoned me 
and said, look, I'm not supposed to tell you, but Russell said. <laughs> so then I had, because nothing moves fast in pre-production in television, but then I had months of waiting, uh, of of thinking, am I going to get the call? And in the meantime, I heard all sorts of rumours about famous people like Andrew's, Andrew Andy Serkis mm. um, being the voice of the Daleks. And I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, they'll give it to someone famous. Why are they going to give it to me? And then luckily I got the call and uh, it really did change my life. You know, uh, I hadn't had a very uh, career-wise lucky life until that point. I'd done okay. You know, I was busy doing bits of acting here and there, but not rushed off my feet, you know. Um, and it, yeah, it just changed things completely for me, really. I shall never stop being grateful to Russell. I mean, it was, uh, you know, I know he wasn't doing it for entirely altruistic reasons. He mm. didn't think, oh, well, how can we benefit Nick Briggs here? But, you know, I was in the right place at the right time with the right skill set. And it was an incredible bit of luck for me. And, uh, you know, it, it has changed my life because it's it's rather nice that if you when you have a job that you do, that when you tell people about it, a good 90 something percent of them will light up with mm. delight. <laughs> You know, I mean, the brilliant thing, of course, that brings me down to earth every now and again is you sometimes meet people, although at the moment we don't meet anyone. Uh, but back in the old days before the pandemic, uh, you sometimes meet people who culturally have had no experience of Doctor Who whatsoever. You know, typically they were brought up in, I don't know, South Africa or Ireland. And you say, you know, I do the voice of the Daleks in Doctor Who. And you might as well have said to them, I bibbly boo on the Babylon bum. You know, they, <laughs> no, they and they look at you like, I, I don't even know what that means. And you think, well, yeah, these are the moments that bring me down to earth. Because most people go, oh, my God, seriously. Yeah. Oh, my God, you yeah. don't, do you? You know, so it's it's a bit some people it's a bit like saying to them, I'm Santa Claus. I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> a sort of evil Santa Claus, obviously. And so, An evil cross and so, and Santa Claus. On TV, you've been doing it for uh, sort of over seventeen years, uh, and you're and you're still Gosh, a part yeah. of the show. Did you ever yes. imagine you would still be doing it, or did you ever imagine the show would still be on after seventeen plus years? Well, that's a really good question. I, I mean, I'm very, um, I think of myself as not a particularly positive and quite prone to depression, but it, when it comes to things I absolutely love, I think I always just assume they'll go on forever. Hmm. You know, and so I know, like I never thought that, you know, Jason Haig Ellery, it turns out, who's the, uh, you know, the chairman and owner of Big Finish, he he assumed that our license would last three years or something, and and then that would all be over. I mean, I just thought once once they got me involved, I thought this is we're going to be doing this forever. It never occurred to me we'd stop, and likewise, it it never really occurred to me that that Doctor Who will stop one day. I mean, I suppose it's entirely possible that you know a new producer will come in and say i think it's time that the daleks didn't sound like nick briggs mm. which will of course break my heart but them's the breaks you know there's no there's no guarantee of work luckily you know chris chibnall absolutely bless him uh regard i feel like he just lives down the road from me actually so if i speak loudly enough he'll probably hear <laughs> you know he regards me as an integral part of the show yeah uh, and and sort of protects that really uh, so that that's really nice to feel because in, in you know in one context I'm the longest running cast member of Doctor Who. Hmm. Uh, of course I'm not in every episode, <laughs> but to the general public, uh, Doctor Who is all about the Daleks. I, I know fans, quite a lot of fans, have a hard time realizing that. But people who aren't committed to Doctor Who, the main thing they they think Doctor Who is all about fighting the Daleks. Hmm. 
you know that's that's the iconic thing really especially in this country where fandom of doctor who really uh, you know the 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 nation's love of doctor who started with the daleks had there been no daleks doctor who would would not still be on no. that's for sure you know that terry nation script and that moment when barbara is confronted by the sucker yeah presumably held by uh, some sort of stagehand because <laughs> i don't think they had the dalek prop at that point uh you know that that is when doctor who really began in terms of what we understand of doctor who uh, or what we understand doctor who being you know about that threat that peril that alien menace the the unlike you know trying to conquer everything we hold dear all that kind of stuff that's when that started and yeah the daleks are are pivotal to that and i'm just proud to to have been lucky enough to you know hitch a ride on that for however long i can but certainly the advantage as well with uh as the show evolves so do the sort of the dalek voices because at the beginning at the beginning a few series it was kind of the same kind of voices but then you you add in things like the emperor dalek or you add in Mm. um even sort of the um dalek khan sort of the the crazy voice to dalek yeah the the giggling one yeah yes um all that yes (laughs) but even in the the most recent episode um at at time recording sort of revolution the daleks a new Mm. look dalek a new sounding dalek so as the show has evolved so has the voices yeah and that's i mean i'm quite happy just doing your bog standards you know commanding exterminating obeying kind Mm. of dalek but it's almost always there's a challenge you know and and uh, yes in this latest uh new year's day special there were the other daleks and also uh, like there was in the previous um new year's day special there was um you know the dalek on some the dalek creature on someone's back yeah which is a whole new proposition which i did this time as well as last time um where i have to um post sync the dialogue of the actor who has the dalek on their back so it's a combination of their voice and my voice at the same time which i think is really nice i mean they could have just added a slight effect to their voice but they decided what they wanted was the actual dalek voice speaking at the same time Mm. and that's um you know that's uh, because most of my adr you know post post syncing is just done to flashing lights uh but you know and i have done adr to lip movements before for other things i've been in but you know that's much more of an interesting challenge and by the by i've discovered something about myself through the process of doing that as you won't be surprised to hear that i've got quite a good audio memory Hmm. so uh a lot of people do post syncing and they watch the lips and they sync it while watching it and although i can do that the most effective way to do it with me is to play me the section and then have me repeat it almost immediately afterwards so i hear the line i say it yeah um listen and repeats our, our um uh sound editor matt calls it and i i uh and then they slide the audio back over the other person's audio and it nine times out of ten fits completely because i've heard the da 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 and then i can go da 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 and it just fits in the tone and where there might be a peak where there'll be a dip where you go up on a certain word come down on a certain word yes all that i hear the musicality of it because even though i'm not musically trained and can't read music i do compose music by ear so i'm very uh attuned 
to it. You know, I can I can hear those differences quite easily. Yeah. So that's that was an interesting discovery for me. So when, whenever I go to do ADR for anything, I they tend to like you to do it at the same time as the playback. But, you know, I say to people, honestly, play it to me and I'll just and let it run and then let me just say it straight afterwards. And it should fit. Yeah. And some of the remarkable things, well, with some of the, the voices is that obviously as well, you do voices with Cybermen as well and, um, and, and other mm. creatures from the series. But also there yes. are moments where it's you talking to you. Yes. <laughs> when that first happened, um, you know, in that big uh, um, face off between the Daleks and the Cybermen, you know, back with David Tennant. There was a point where I was doing that because I had to do that at three separate locations. You know, I had to do it in the void room where the Daleks were and I had to do it where the Cybermen were with Jackie and the Doctor. And I had to do it in the corridor where the Daleks and the Cybermen met. And I was on all three of those shoots (laughs) to do that. And uh, there was a point it occurred to me, I thought they're never they can't put five minutes of me talking to myself on primetime BBC television. This is just ridiculous. And then um, I knew uh, Dave Houghton, who was the visual effects supervisor at that time. We'd become great mates on set because he was always there sort of, you know, flashing silver and green balls and things around to get sort of the light temperature for the CG effects. And uh, I I used to regularly pop into the mill, which was the um, visual effects house in london you know when i was in london I'd, I'd give dave a buzz and say oh you know do you fancy lunch or he'd just say things like oh well come over for a coffee and i'll show you some stuff and of course you know this is all highly illegal and he'd invite me in and he'd, he'd take me for a tour around the building and all the cg artists are all sort of working away at their terminals and he'd go to each of them and say this is nick the voice of the dialects and they go oh and it's like oh show nick a bit of what you've been doing you know so i used to regularly get to see what was coming up in the the cg effects but then particularly for that episode he said oh yeah we've got that bit edited now i said yeah they're not they'll have cut it won't they he said what do you mean cut it it's a pivotal scene i said yeah but they can't and he showed it to me and i i just thought i can't God, they've kept it all i think yeah. there's one bit where they can continue talking i think mickey talks over it for a moment um but aside from that yeah they just let it run straight really so that's that's just amazing mm. <laughs> and the the fandom the sort of the, the who fandom who fans can remember exactly the moment they got into the show oh yes, yes i don't think you get it with other fan, tv yes. shows no no i mean for me it's difficult because i was so young uh so i certainly remember william hartnell um, but I'm not not exactly sure uh, what um, what time it was. I mean, I remember the Celestial Toymaker mm. and the Tenth Planet particularly. Um, but I've got some misty memories of Daleks as well. So, and also, you know, I had I was given the Dalek book for Christmas once. You know, the the blue annual yeah. <laughs> with the big Dalek on the front and. Uh, so, I mean, and I remember watching Power of the Daleks and, and knowing what Daleks were. So I guess I must have seen the Daleks on television before. Uh, but I can't, I can't quite locate that moment. But I do remember it's really from Patrick Troughton onwards that I have clear, distinct memories of watching every single story. Yeah. For me, it was the um, when they started in the 30th anniversary and they started to re-show old episodes. They show Plant the Daleks and the Green Death. 
And yeah, it was, yeah. It, they showed it in the same way as it's week by week. And over about 12 weeks, I was like, right, I'm in now. This is this is wow. Show, show me more, please. It's incredible for me to think that people were, you know, at that point becoming Doctor Who fans. But to mm. me, it was like, oh, they're re-showing this old thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and finally, what have you learnt? I've learnt that um, life is all about luck. And uh, because, you know, there are loads of people out there who could be where I am today. But I was just lucky. Um, I think, you know, what helps luck is if you have the requisite skills if you, and if you're in the right place at the right time, as it were, where, the, you know, the various coincidences, the coinciding of events, you know, where they cross. If you have the right skills, that really helps. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, who would know, that, you know? Imagine seeing Russell T. Davis in his much younger days and me in my much younger days. Very, very different people, very, very different lifestyles. Um, but what the key thing is we both love Doctor Who. And there he is pursuing his career, being a producer, at BBC Wales, deciding to give everything up, to give himself clear time to write something. And then me pootling around, trying to get acting work, not really succeeding, getting involved with friends to do Big Finish. You know, who would know that our lives would coincide? Uh, and, and then, you know, so that's the main thing I've learned. I mean, along the way, I've learned loads of lessons about storytelling, about what works and what doesn't work. And the more you learn, the more you realize you've still got to learn. You know, I don't think you... I don't think it's a wise position to say, I know it all now. You know, you're discovering things all the time. That's why people these days often ask me to teach people stuff about what I've learned. And I largely resist it, although I am doing a bit of writing mentoring. And that seemed to go OK, because I'm not very good at telling people about rules, because I always say, although obviously you can break all those, um, you know, if it works. But then I suppose I... I I go back to what I was taught at school because I was an incessant writer at school. And when I came home, I would write in inverted commas books. I'm going to write a book this evening, I'd say to my mum, you know, and I'd get the paper and I'd start writing, you know, and I would write until it was bedtime and then quickly have to finish the story. You know, it's it's nearly bedtime. Oh, and then they all blew up, you know. Um, the, the key thing is that you have to learn some bedrock of rules to start with in order to know what rules you're breaking i think i think that's that's the thing um but really as with anything like with directing when you're working with other people it's working out what they are trying to achieve assessing whether it's achievable or indeed a good idea to achieve and then helping them to the best of your ability to achieve that you know, I'm not the kind of so I do script editing as well. I'm not the kind of script editor who takes a script that someone's written and puts them through the mill of 15 drafts where because I'm not really paying attention. And then at the end of it, I get them to do a draft that's pretty much like the one they wrote in the first place. And that happens a lot in television, you know, different development producers work with people and they say, how about we blah, blah, blah. And the writer says, that's what I wrote three years ago. And they go, oh, really? I wasn't on board at that point. You know, I think you have to you have to make a you have to be wise enough to make a quick judgment with someone about whether you think you can be on board with what they're creating. 
and then trust them and help them to do it their way. That's the thing. You you can look at it and say, I just don't think this will fly or this is not for me. I can't. This won't work for me. Um, but try to be as broad minded as possible. Always, you know, see I very rarely, um, you know, impose my will on a, on a writer. You know, I usually test how sure they are that what they're doing is a good idea. And, um, you know, if you say to them, I'm not, this isn't working for me. And they go, yeah, okay, yeah, let's try something new. That's fine. But if I say this isn't working for me and they go, no, but the thing is, and they, you know, I'm more than likely to say, okay, okay, well, you seem very sure about it. So let's, let's try and make this work. So that's what I've learned, really. I've learned that I don't know uh, much. And I've learned that, um, you know, it's best to help other people do what they love rather than force them to do things they don't like. Nicholas Briggs, thank you very much. Pleasure.